The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you by listener support via the Secret Library Podcast Patreon. You can check it out and become a supporter at patreon.com slash secretlibrary. This is episode 126 of the Secret Library Podcast. I am very excited to share today's episode. This has been quite an exciting undertaking that we've put together. I have not one, not two, but three guests today. And we created this panel um, about the process of editing. So our guests today are Natasha Lekic of New York Book Editors, which is a service that employs editors who have worked for Big Five publishers and are now independent editors. And two of the editors, Aaron Schlechter and Zach Kajewski, were kind enough to come on. And the four of us discussed the process of when you should hire an editor, how to choose an editor, times and places you may use an editor, and what that process is like both for the traditionally published, independently publishing authors, as well as those who have written a book and want to have it edited before submitting it for traditional publication. So this conversation is one you'll want to take notes for probably or listen to more than once. And again, there's also some special resources that Natasha was kind enough to curate in order to take you inside the editing process. And there will be links to those in the show notes for this post. So I'm really, really happy that we were able to put this episode together for you because I know there have been lots of questions about editing and working with editors for ages. So we're going to call this the editor panel, and I'm very happy to give you this episode. Hi, everybody. This is so exciting. This is the most people I have ever had on the show at once. We've already had technical difficulties and come back together, but I I commend everyone for persevering because we believe in the editorial process and we're going to talk about it today. Sounds good. Yeah. So I want to start with Natasha because our conversation started there. Because as you founded the New York Book Editors, I want to talk a little bit about what your vision was for that and sort of the overall picture of your editing vision? Yeah, so um, originally this was almost six years ago um, when independent publishing was becoming a really viable option. And the original vision was, let's bring the same caliber of editors that publishers have in-house and the same process of editing to the independent space. Reality turned out to be a little bit different, although we do do that. We also help people um, get the attention of agents. So that's a lot of what we ended up doing as well. But that was the original vision. Amazing. I think another thing, and we'll get into this more, but I think I want to hear from each of you. Again, we'll start with Natasha and then we'll move on, is a little bit about how the editorial process is different between developmental editing and sort of the line edit and the proofreading edit? Because this is a question I get a lot from people is, what are the differences between this? And people will just say, oh, I think I want to work with an editor, but they won't. It's kind of like saying, I think I need a lawyer, but not knowing which kind of lawyer you're going to work with. And I'm wondering if you could each say a little bit about what the differences are between those processes. So I find that the the naming sometimes 
changes from company to company, but usually um, when when the term developmental editing is used, it means structural ed- editing. So big picture changes. Um, when you're at the line editing stage, you already have the foundation um, of your narrative down. So you, there you're playing with pacing, prose, um, you're changing it on a line by line level, literally. Um, and when when authors, uh, often authors know what they need, but sometimes they don't. Um, so it's really best to to have the editor evaluate the manuscript and determine which edit at that stage would benefit them most. Right. Yeah, I mean, like in my experience, I guess that we often have, uh, I wouldn't say often, there are sometimes authors who are great writers and they're just kind of, uh, they're, they're doing the wrong approach. For, for instance, some people uh, will just pick the wrong character to focus <laughs> on or, or perhaps the entire chronology is screwed up. So it really, it, it would not benefit them for us to do a full line edit because they're going to be going back and revising all this stuff by themselves anyway. So yeah, generally Natasha sends us these projects. Um, we take a look at them and we make a recommendation to the author as to what would best serve them. And they generally agree. We, we get through that uh, on an initial phone call a lot, kind of talk through um, what their goals are. Um, and a lot of these uh, circumstances, people have already spent a whole lot of time um, kind of plotting out um, a plot arc before they started writing and not to say that that's wrong some people just start with a character and see where the where the plot develops but often when they've started um with an outline as the plot it's hard to see if there's been a mistake made where the manuscript would benefit if it was done a an alternate way so yeah and i and i find with a lot of the uh, more prescriptive nonfiction that i work on um you know the developmental edit starting kind of you know at the very beginning of the process can be really helpful for authors to make sure they're kind of getting their idea down and fleshed out um you know as compared to going into the writing process of half-baked idea which you know in fiction might be more of a uh you know proper approach but you know for the type of uh prescriptive uh work i think it really helps to get that uh figured out at the very beginning um so you know that's things like structure the table of contents um you know uh, really deciding on who the audience is, who you're speaking with. And uh, at that stage, too, when they come to us to, um, you know, do a sample edit or, or whatnot, um, you know, it helps to figure out at that point the, the fit with the editor. And it's, you know, some of these projects are going to take a long time. Uh, you know, you're going to be working closely together with an editor. And so it's great if you can figure out early on, um, you know, if you guys are going to work well and, you know, kind of uh, feed off each other's energy and all those good things. So, Zach, I want to follow up on that. Sure. Um, for those listening, we can't really see each other. So this is a very interesting <laughs> sort of, it's like a mass of voices. It's like a group mind. Um, but Zach, I want to talk because you talked about for prescriptive nonfiction and working with nonfiction yeah. in an edit. Do you find that you get involved earlier in the process than say Aaron does with fiction? 
Um, yeah, and I, in my experience, that is the case. And um, a lot of times that may mean I'm doing an editorial assessment of, you know, in an early draft. But even even more than that, you know, I think starting again, I'm, I'm a big structure guy. I think for any type of prescriptive nonfiction, you know, the the, the structure, the TOC, getting that nailed down earlier on is uh, is really important to the progression of the book. Um, it'll, you know, save you some time in the end, but also it It'll really keep you focused and uh, going in the right direction. It also helps you avoid things like repetition um, and issues that would pop up if you kind of are just throwing all your ideas out there and then trying to, you know, cram in a um, copy edit or something like that, or even a line edit for that matter. Um, and, you know, I can just discuss the difference between line edit and copy edit in my world as well, if you want me to. Well, I just, I had one follow-up question and then I yeah. want to jump back to fiction. Do you ever work with people on, say, a book proposal? Because I know a lot of people are working in the early stage with nonfiction in creating a book proposal and sample chapters and all of that kind of writing that they may submit and sell the book just based on the proposal alone. Yeah. Yeah. I find that, you know, I end up doing a lot of that work. Um, and that's a really great stage to have an editor come on, um, you know, not only to help you with the sample chapters, but again, you know, to really kind of nail down what's supposed to be in that proposal, uh, you know, how you're pitching it to an agent or even directly to, you know, an editor, um, as compared to pitching it to the audience that will, you know, the final reader. Um, and so, yeah, so I end up doing a lot of work on proposals, um, to help, those authors, you know, get get it really whip it into shape before they uh, go to that next step of pitching it to people. Got it. Okay, so Aaron, I want to talk to you a little bit about the stage in which you get involved by contrast with fiction, because usually when you're getting to an editor, you aren't just sort of starting to think of the idea and it isn't structured the same way as nonfiction. So at what point are you usually getting involved in the process? Uh, generally an, an author has, uh, finished the book and gone through it multiple times at this point. Um, I, mean, I guess often they've sent the, 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 uh, the book out to their friends and whatnot and are not necessarily getting back a prescriptive advice. You know, everyone's like, oh, this is fantastic. No one wants to, you know, uh, tell their friend that they've got months and months more work to do. But also I think it really helps to have somebody come in, um, having not seen it before, when I go through a manuscript, even before I go through it slowly for a line edit, I just read it once very, very quickly as though I'm a first time reader. And a lot of the times when these uh, authors have been working on these books for so long, it's really hard to see the forest for the trees. And uh, there's some characters that they might identify with that, you know, that might be based on them or somebody they, that they know well. And they just kind of assume that everyone understands um, the reasons for why they're making decisions or their internal thought processes. Um, so pointing out when that's not happening is important um, because at some point you can't realize it when you know your character so well. Uh, at, at the other side of things, oftentimes uh, authors are just bludgeoning you over the head with facts over and over and over again. It's just like, no, you've already done a good job. We actually can put ourselves in these characters' uh, shoes. So you no longer need to uh, explain to us every little thing that's going into their thought process. So both in terms of character arc, um, I actually find – um, often the characters drive the plot uh, more so than plotting works, uh, than plotting by itself. When you've been working with, with a uh, book for so long that you're no longer able to kind of step back from it and, and see how other people are going to react to it for the first time, I think that's really important. Definitely. So I have a question for each of you, and maybe you can each answer because I think your answers may be different. Um, and maybe we'll start with Zach. 
what makes your job like what's your ideal client your ideal scenario that makes it really really easy for you to work well as an editor yeah i mean i think it's coming you know coming to the table with uh you know a fresh idea that's obviously always enjoyable for me um you know a lot of times authors will um in this space you know they come up with an idea but they haven't necessarily done a lot of research on it or they may have kind of you know written down some notes and, and that's okay but um, a lot of times, if they don't see what else is out there in the market, they might be surprised to find out that you know this idea has already been done, and they have to kind of re you know rework where they're where they're going with it. And I'm always happy to help at that stage. But it is really nice when um, you know they arrive with you know fresh idea, ready to go. Um, they have plans for you know how to move forward. Um, I think it just has a lot to do with you know the pre the the, the pre work and the preparation, um, and so you know, we can kind of hit the ground running together. Great. Okay. What about for you, Aaron? Well, we only take on or, or, or offer to take on projects um, that New York book editors that we already kind of feel a connection to. And we realize more uh, whether or not we're going to have a good working relationship with the author once we do a phone call. So, um, and before the phone call happens, we always do a sample uh, line edit. I guess people talk a lot about, you know, when they're writing novels themselves, they don't try to read other people's novels because that person's voice might seep in and they're going to lose their own voice when they're writing. I'm not sure if other authors have talked about that. I try not to read other novels when, when I'm uh, working with an author simply because I want to be able to, at some level, emulate their own voice. So when I'm writing down a, a different way to do a sentence, I'm trying to think about, about it the way that they would approach it, but show a different approach. So when I see an author with like a lot of talent, um, but I know that can get them to the next, next level and they already appreciate what the sample is going to be like. And we just, you know, kind of feel chemistry on the phone. That's what I want to take on. It's just so exciting to watch people grow. Um, oftentimes once you give a bunch of suggestions, it's kind of overwhelming. And I like authors to kind of put the book aside for a couple months before they even come back to it. So they can see the new, just the suggestions and, and generally like people really come around, um, see things they haven't seen before. It's just such a rewarding process. Amazing. So one thing I would love for people to take away from this call, and again, I'd love to have each of your thought process, is if you can share any kind of common traps that people get stuck in that you find over and over again you have to help them with as an editor. Maybe we'll start with Zach. Sure. Um, you know, I think this kind of goes back to, you know, what I was saying a minute ago it, to a certain extent is just um, really kind of having, you know, being prepared, figuring out. Uh, you know, what What does an introduction of a, a typical, um, you know, nonfiction prescriptive book look like, you know, and what, what information is included in that introduction? Um, again, you know, figuring out the structure early on, getting that table of contents down, trying to avoid repetition, you know, coming in with those things, um, you know, will help you avoid some, some of those traps. I also think, too, with the type of books I work on mostly, you know, a lot of authors are hoping that, you know, they have an idea that they can pitch and they're just ready to go, but they don't necessarily have a platform to pitch it from. And, uh, you know, you, you find that a lot of these prescriptive nonfiction books, um, whether you're going to an agent or to, you know, to an editor, um, at a house, you know, they're going to want some type of platform that they can help you, you know, you know, help you promote the book as well, but also realize that you're going to be able to put in kind of the marketing support 
and uh, you know other other related uh, you know support in that sense. So um, so I think those are a couple of things that you want to kind of get figured out early on, and it'll make your life a lot easier once you're getting to the point of you know pitching the book, publishing the book if you're self-publishing, and uh, you know trying to really get the word out there about what you're working on and uh, what you want to do with the book. Absolutely. What about for you, Aaron? Um, there's a couple things. Um, most of the first 15% in the, in the uh, last 15% of books, I think, are kind of the most important in terms of getting there to drive and building up momentum, really getting the readers into the story. And I find I, I basically go at, at editing those uh, sections or making recommendations as to how to approach those sections as just going at it with machete. I, uh, you know, there's, there's beautiful fluid language is great and stuff, but until you can, you're like really, uh, connected to a character, uh, or time period or ideally both, um, there is no reason to really get into that. You want, you want to just start with a bang and people often hear that, uh, I guess agents are just going to look at the first couple pages of a book. That's true. And what a lot of people don't realize is then, you know, I'm just going to come up with the truth here. Most editors claim that they read books from, you know, the entire book from an agent, if it's good an agent, not true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not true at all. I, like, I always tried to read 30 pages, but, uh, you know, if it, if it was not really, uh, jumping out for me because sometimes somebody just, you know, is, is horrible at the beginning and, you know, has just kind of overworked that knowing that that's going to be the case and they just can't understand, I guess, what the novel needs in terms of that. So sometimes there's, there's a nice surprise after you're done with the first 20 pages. You're like, oh, this person's got it. But 99% of the time, it's not true. So I really like going at, you know, just kind of going at things. I'm not going to say machete anymore. Let's go with meat cleaver. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, yeah, um, at, at the beginning. The other thing, which I guess people are just kind of aware that sales forces at publishing companies are, as Zach said, kind of trying to mention, this is also true for fiction, when they're trying to sell to Barnes & Noble or whatnot, they're trying to um, link it up to another book. Oh, this is just like Michael Crichton. You know, Michael Crichton sold 5 billion copies. So this is just like that. And that's just something that they're going to say. But oftentimes authors try to kind of jump into that. Uh, or I guess, I guess write with that in mind. I'm going to write a book just like Michael Crichton. It's it's a horrible idea. You're going to lose your entire voice uh, approaching it that way. Leave it to the people at the sales force to make up the lies about what the book is like. One <laughs> that brings me to another question I have for both of you, which is I often see a way that people, I think, writers have a tendency to torture themselves. I don't think this is, you know, a unique premise, but that given that, writers work with language. They're particularly adept at coming up with insults or, or fears or whatever else that comes up as they're talking to themselves. One of which is, what am I going to do with this book when it's done? Or how am I, who am I going to sell it to? Or how am I going to do it? And I generally try to encourage them to stick with the book and make the book as good as possible before even considering the marketing. However, there is this catch-22 situation that you brought up, Zach, of people getting a better chance if they have some sort of platform. So do you have any thoughts about balancing, you know, focusing on the writing, but also realizing that later you're going to want to engage with the world and being prepared to do so? Yeah, you know, um, that's a really great question. Um, I think that 
a lot of times, you know, I, I would never want to discourage anyone. I wouldn't want to discourage anyone to, you know, to write, you know, if they have a, a genuine interest in whether you're talking about the craft, you know, you know, on the fiction side of things, or they want to, you know, get out there and try to figure out a way to help someone with a, you know, prescriptive nonfiction work. Um, you know, I never, you know, want to discourage anyone from, you know, going forward, you know, and, and trying it out and seeing what can happen there. Cause, cause you never know. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, when it comes to the practical matters of things like platform, um, it is, it is important to keep in mind, you know, I don't want, I don't want to lie and say, oh, you know, if you have the, if you have a great idea, you know, uh, you know, any, any editor is going to see through, you know, just see that immediately and, and go and run with it. You know, a lot of times it really does come down to making sure you both have a great idea. And again, you know, some footing to stand on to kind of push that idea out there. But that said, I mean, that doesn't need, you don't have to be, you know, a, you know, writing for the times or whatever, you know, you don't have to be a world-class journalist or anything like that. I mean, if you've written a few blog posts, if you, you know, have a couple of small articles out there, if, um, if whatever space you're working in that you are likely writing about, um, if you have any awards in that area, or if you spoke at any conferences or there's any media coverage on that work. And again, it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a huge thing, but just so I think it shows people, um, editors and agents that you're really serious about this and what you're doing here. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes that probably comes up in fiction as well. You know, if someone sees that uh, an author has an MFA, they obviously know that they've taken the time and effort to kind of, you know, to try to try to move their craft forward or, you know, move their their work forward. And so. I think it's definitely something to keep in mind, but yeah, you don't, I definitely don't want anyone to get discouraged or, you know, avoid writing simply because they don't have, you know, a million Twitter followers or something like that. Right. Absolutely. And what about for fiction? Um, a platform can be nice if say like, you know, you, you've got a story that's going to work for off the book pages, be it like, you know, I, I, I was in the CIA or I spent I don't know, eight years in a North Korean prison camp. Uh, that's interesting. You know, that's a platform, but, 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 and in general, honestly, I think platform is bullshit. I think that the book is going to speak for itself when it comes to fiction. Um, it's nice if, if you have, you know, a million Twitter followers, most people don't, you're going to be forced if you go with a major publisher to put up a website, 40 people are going to look at it most likely. And, you know, if you're an interesting person, you're going to build your own platform when you're doing interviews or, or, uh, I guess like when you're doing readings. But I mean, people will tell you otherwise, but having spent, you know, 10 years doing this uh, at the big publishers and, and the medium sized publishers, I think platform is bullshit when it comes to fiction. You heard it right here. <laughs> 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 don't worry about platform if you're a fiction writer. Yeah, exactly. Just don't, don't make up it. a plat make platform for you. Yeah. Yeah, the exactly. novelists are relieved, but the nonfiction writers are. <laughs> I know. There's, there's size in both directions happening. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about when somebody feels it's time to involve an editor in their writing process. Um, I've had a little bit of sort of, I, I don't want to say angst exactly, but it is a bit of angst that has come up with people talking to me about like, well, I think I might want an editor, but I'm not sure. And then there's a lot of the phenomenon of like, not that I want to compare the two professions exactly, but like if someone is coming over to clean, then you feel like you have to clean the whole house so it's perfect so that they don't think, oh, my God, well, how would they make any mistakes? So then you have people who have a manuscript that they want to send to an editor, but they're like, if there's a single typo in there, they're going to think I'm an idiot. Um, how do you feel that people need to get ready or at what stage should they think about, okay, it's time to work with an editor? 
Zach, I'm going to let you go first on this. <laughs> 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 no, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, somebody else. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So. I, um, you know, like I was saying earlier on, you know, I think um, for some of these prescriptive nonfiction books, it is helpful to, uh, you know, speak with an editor earlier on in the process. But I mean, there are some people that are, you know, that have written books previously or have a lot of writing experience. They they know what they want to say and, you know, they have a very specific vision and it might be very spot on. You know, they might they, they know their audience. Uh, you know, if they've been out there in this space for a while, you know, they they know who they're speaking to and how to get points across. And so if that's the case um, and, you know, they're a little bit further on, I think getting to a level that they're comfortable with the manuscript, they know it needs a little bit of work or maybe a lot of work, but, you know, they have the whole thing written and, and ready to go. I can see that, you know, as a, as a good time to bring on an editor for, you know, the line edit. So the developmental edit would be, you know, previous to that when you're kind of working at the earliest stages of the book or, um, you know, the proposal. And then the line edit would come in after you've actually gotten, you know, a full full first or maybe even second draft down. Um, and the line edit too, you know, and again, I know people run into this kind of confusion, um, is, you know, even prior to a copy edit, the line edit is really just kind of to help the author uh, get their ideas across, make sure they're coming across clear, um, you know, it's not that every comma needs to be in the right place. That'll take, that'll happen in the copy edit. You know, there's no real reason to worry about that at the, you know, the early stages, you know, the first draft, second draft, even the third draft, if you're, if you're, you know, so inclined. So, um, I think, you know, going forward, if you have that idea ready, if you've written the book, if you feel pretty good about it, I think that's a good time to, uh, to sh share it with an editor. Great. And don't, and don't worry about where the, those commas are or that you've used a semicolon incorrectly or whatever. You know, it's not that's not the time to worry about that by any means. Great. Any thoughts for fiction? I mean, I, I yeah, I've never cared about copy edits uh, either. I, I've never done copy edits, actually. So a line edit is a very different thing, obviously, as is a uh, structural edit. I would say um, if an editor is going to take on your project and uh, or, or looks at your project and wants to have a conversation with you, which I think you should do before you sign on an editor. Uh, you just want to see how excited they are. I, I actually love working with authors that, that are having some difficulties, um, just kind of watching them grow. And I think you need to talk them through it. And, you know, this is a learning process. I, I really don't think that you should have any fear about going in for, the, for an edit if, if you're comfortable with, with the way your your characters are and you're comfortable with the plot arc. That's not to say that you're that I'm going to agree or any other is going to agree with you know the plot arc. There might be one thing you change that's going to make the, the entire book just much much more palatable to readers. Or there might be a main character where you just it, you should actually bump up this character. This is the soul of the novel. This person needs to you know be in the background. Um, that could be an issue, but at the same time, we enjoy doing that. I really feel like if you have a connection with the editor and they connect to your work, there's really nothing to be afraid about as long as you're happy with the work you put in and you're ready to go into it uh, as a learning experience. Great. And that you perfectly set up my next question, which is awesome. Um, maybe we can bring Natasha on for this one. And that is if somebody's starting to think, okay, I think I want to work with an editor, what are the first steps that they take getting involved, at least from your viewpoint, since you do connect people with editors? So the first step is genre, which sounds so simple, but some authors think they're writing in one genre, but it turns out they're not. <laughs> so looking at, at their work, reading a sample, figuring out um, what their genre might actually be, 
The next step is, and I think Aaron briefly mentioned this, we do, some people aren't ready for a professional edit yet. And we, we let those people know if that's the case and give them usually a list of recommendations, what they should read in their genre or on writing, um, and sort of advise them on how to, to work on it a little bit more on their own first. If they are ready, then we look at the stage which the manuscript is. So some editors, and we've, since we've worked with, with the, most of the team for years, by now we sort of know their preferences. Some editors really enjoy working with authors who are earlier on, who are first time authors. Uh, maybe their work isn't as developed yet. And other editors are looking for, you know, more veteran um, authors to work with. So we take that into consideration as well. And then we, we send the editor the submission. Um, they let us know if it has really resonated with them. If it does, that's when the author gets the editor's profile. Got it. And that's when we start the trial edit and the phone call to just make sure that that connection that we think should be there really is there. So what happens in a trial edit? I think these are things that everybody sort of, it's like finishing your book and then there's this long, dark hallway that you go through and you're not quite yeah. sure what happens next. So yeah. if we could break that down a little bit, I think it would be so helpful. Sure. So a trial edit with us is about 10 pages, 2,500 words that the editor reads through um, and writes down sort of like a brief memo a few paragraphs with their thoughts on this, you know, really initial glimpse of the manuscript and line edits a few of the pages, 1500 words. And then it's the phone call. That's really the big, the big part of the trial edit. I think the edit, since the editor hasn't read the manuscript and doesn't have a comprehensive idea of what's involved, really the edits that are happening at that level aren't can't authoritative. So it's it's just a glimpse of kind of to give the author an idea of the way the editor would approach their work. Um, and an I idea. Think I, should, I think I should add just really fast. Sure. That you just skipped over this. There's also a plot synopsis that we get in addition to those pages. That's yeah, the memo. Yeah. 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 No, 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 no. Plot synopsis from the author. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's no, right. That's it. in the submission material. Yeah. Mm. Um, do you guys do you guys have something to add to the the trial edit? I mean, I think that that basically covers it. You know, um, I think as Aaron said earlier as well, uh, you know, that that first phone call that comes after the uh, the trial edit to kind of talk through what you've worked on, to go over any questions the author has, uh, not even just about the uh, the line edit either, but you know, just kind of how the process works. You know, um, it gives the it gives the editor the time too to kind of get an idea of what the author has in mind in regards to their goals and kind of what they plan on doing with the book if they kind of are at that stage at that point and you know know what they want to do with the book um so i think that conversation after you know they get the chance to review the edits is really important um and a good time to figure out you know if it's a good match and uh fit to work together great yeah i, th I think you can see just in those 1500 words um whether or not the editor gets your voice 
Yeah. Um, and, and I think generally, I, I assume most editors do this. Why do those 1500 words? I'm putting in every possible comment you could do much more so than anyone would do during in a full manuscript. You're just, it, it's a pretty limited um, number of pages to show what an edit actually consists of and how you could help them. So doing it that way too, it's an, over, it's an overwhelming five pages you're getting. So if an author is just like, oh my God, this is too much, then they're gonna know it right there. Um, but that's usually not the case. Usually people like really take the, uh, the uh, advice well. And I think it's eye-opening because the first few pages usually are the most worked and reworked and revised pages you have. So when you see the, the changes that are being recommended on those, most authors tend to think, wow, wait till I get the rest of the manuscript back. <laughs> well, that sort of answers my next question, which is, do people, is it recommended that you do the first pages of the book rather than another portion that maybe you're most interested in how they, how they would handle it? Um, I, I don't think that's the case. I think you should probably send in whatever portion you think is strongest. But, but I guess this uh, speaks to when I was saying before, um, I really want the first 15% and the last 15% to be, you know, what hits hard. I, I hope you feel most comfortable with your first, you know, 15 pages. If you don't, you should work on those. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's a good point, yeah. Yeah, I just meant if there's a scene that's particularly resonant or a turning point scene that feels really significant for fiction, would you ever use that as opposed to... Certainly, certainly, without a doubt, without yeah. a doubt. Great. So then after that, let's say you've had the phone call, you've gone through, you've seen all of the markups all over your pages, and you're ready to move forward. What happens next? Uh, should I? Yeah, go for it. Go for it, Aaron. Yeah. Oh, okay. At, at that point, um, after the call, if the, uh, if the author wants to proceed, um, and you know, if you feel chemistry with your editor, the entire manuscript is sent to the editor. And the, the editor goes through the whole manuscript and uh, kind of realizes whether or not they're going to recommend a, a structural edit or a, a line edit at that point and just kind of sees what um, condition the book is in and then makes a recommendation to the author. I think this is the way to proceed. If, if an author wants to do a line edit and you don't think it's it's uh, in their best interest, it's just going to be a waste of time for them because you're going to make all kinds of major recommendations that are going to involve changing entire par rather entire chapters and whatnot or entire plot arc, then uh, it's I, I guess you do not have the connection with the editor that, that uh, you want. Uh, usually people uh, agree with um, our decisions in that. Um, mm -hmm. If they don't, there's really no way, no reason to proceed, I guess, if somebody thinks they're ready for the line edit and they're just not. But we evaluate the entire manuscript at that point. Yeah, and I think that that initial editorial assessment um, is really helpful for the for the author as well, uh, in my experience. So um, even if they are kind of in that uh, that mindset that they want to kind of plow through, they're ready for the line edit, they want to get this thing out there. I think uh, you know the majority of the time, I find that you know taking a step back, slowing things down, and doing that initial you know editorial assessment and um, you know, really helping them kind of get things uh, in line to, to make that next step to that line edit or wherever it may go. And would that yeah. process be the same, Zach, if someone is doing, say, a proposal? Would you work on that the same way? Would they send like part of a sample chapter? Or if someone was going to work on you with an editor as a proposal, how would that look? 
Yeah, you know, um, that's that's a good question too. Um, I I just recently um, I'm actually speaking with an author later today um, about uh, a proposal that he had sent in, and so you know that that is a way to to approach it to send the you know you can send the whole proposal, and typically what I've done is that you know I'll look at the whole proposal, I'll still read you know the first. 1500 words or the first, I'll read the first 2,500 words and, you know, you know, uh, you know, do a line edit of the first 1500. If, if that like makes sense at that point, I think a lot of times though, with the proposal, it's more, um, kind of helping them realize what should be in it. What's, you know, what's landing, what's not. And then once you get into that, um, next step, um, you know, I can, you know, help with the sample chapter cause you want to have a sample chapter or two at least. Um, and so, you know, and also help with the annotated table of contents. And then at that point I can really do, you know, a full online edit, but earlier on in the process, it's more kind of just helping them get it organized, figure out what they need to have in there. And, um, you know, going from there. Got it. So, Natasha, what is the timeline once the editors get the full manuscript? Usually, if you're doing the full edit with a line edit, it's usually six to eight weeks, the turnaround time. Um, For a critique, it could be four to six weeks. So that takes a little bit less time on average. Got it. And so the other question I have just in terms of industry standard, because I know both Zach and Aaron have worked for traditional publishers and are now working independently, potentially both with traditionally published and independently published authors. I'm wondering if there's a, is a difference in what you're seeing between sort of the needs of independently published authors versus those going with a traditional publisher. Let's start with Zach. (laughs) Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, you know, I mean, I find that, you know, kind of in this, you know, this new, this newer world of publishing with so many options for hybrid publishing and, you know, self-publishing and whatever, you know, other models in between people are developing now, um, you know, they still need the same type of professional, you know, editorial work, you know, that a any traditional publisher would need. I think that in my experience, again, with the, you know, uh, the, the prescriptive type work, um, I don't, you know, I was talking about the platform earlier. I don't, I don't. I don't want the authors to worry quite as much about their platform if they're self-publishing. Um, they, because you know, they don't necessarily need to be pitching themselves as as hard to you know an agent or an editor. Um, so I mean, that's the only thing I kind of think about. But to be honest, you know, I would still give the same advice about trying to build their platform because that's really how they're going to sell their book um, on their own as well. Um, so really, at the end of the day, I I approach projects the same, um, except you know if if you are, if, as as an author, if you're really stuck on your idea and you really kind of want to stick to kind of what you've had planned out and you're planning to self-publish, you want to take some chances that you might not take with traditional publishing, um, you know, I think that that would be the only thing I would kind of consider. But again, at the end of the day, I would still be doing the same type of work and helping the author in the same way. Got it. For once, I've got a short answer for you as to that, which is I I, I approach things completely the same. There's absolutely no difference in the way I approach things, be it self-publishing or looking for a traditional publisher. Got it. I have one question, though, in addition to that for you, Aaron. Do Uh you find (laughs) – here's my follow-up. Do you find that people are going through an edit with novels before submitting it to agents or publishers? So would you have someone who wanted to go for traditional publishing but is working with you first because – 
With novels, you submit the full manuscript from the beginning rather than having the option of submitting a proposal, say, with a nonfiction book. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of authors come to us before they submit to agents. Some submit to a couple agents, hear some feedback, and realize that they want to deal with the editor beforehand. Um, I'm not sure if you've had uh, agents on your program before, but agents are just, editors are getting 40, 50 manuscripts a week in from agents. And, you know, you've got some editorial assistants and whatnot to help you out with that. Uh, just kind of go, cull things down to, to the ones that really need uh, attention that are going to turn into bidding wars um, quickly. Anyway, agents are, I, I can't even imagine how overwhelmed they are with, with manuscripts. So you actually really want to do some of their work for them, um, both in kind of, Pitching yourself, I, I guess rather pitching the book, but most importantly, just having the uh, book um, in a form where an editor will pick it up. So, yeah, I, I think most editors, uh, rather most uh, authors come to us before pitching an agent, and I think that's the way to go. Uh, I think you're, if, if you're uh, not sending things in almost the form where they're ready for a, a publisher already, you might be burning bridges. Great. Yeah, I, th I think that's a great point, Aaron. Awesome. Yeah. I have um, one more thought. Um, Natasha and I talked about something when we first spoke before planning this this panel episode. Um, one thing that we were really excited about and, and something that has been coming up in conversation that I've had with writers for a long time is the fact that when we're writing, we're comparing our work in progress with finished books that have been edited and gone over by everybody in a publishing team and ended up on a bookshelf. And so it isn't really a fair comparison of you never get to see kind of the the author's early drafts and what happens as they work through it. So we had an idea, and I'm wondering if you can say more about Natasha, about a way to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit so that people can see how this process works. Yeah. So we wanted to Put together, and we are putting together um, a, a sort of exercise where you get to see a few pages of an earlier draft and then take a look at the edits that are being introduced to it so that you can really see the difference of what happens in as you're right, it's a very, very long process, and there are many iterations that take place before the book hits the shelves. But this, this is sort of a glimpse into the first one. She's talking about an earlier, rather, uh, the edits for somebody else's book, just so you can kind of get an idea. Yes. I, I, so you're looking at basically at, oh, look, here's 10 pages. Look at all these changes, and you kind of see what the author adopted. So right. before and after. Yep. Exactly. So we're going to have a link in the show notes to where you can download this and take a look for yourself and get an idea kind of from inside because it's 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 great for all of us to have this conversation and talk about it in an abstract form but I think it's a completely different experience to be able to look at a piece of work and to see what happened what kind of transformation is possible in the editing process so that you can kind of imagine that for your own book mm -hmm. and I would also challenge people when they're looking at the first few pages to think about the changes they would introduce um, before they look at sort of the answer, <laughs> what what an editor actually did. 
because that's always been a revelation for me. I look at I look at pages and um, think about what what I would do, and sometimes I'm at a loss, and then I see the editor's changes, and I think, oh my god, how did I not see that? That makes it so much better. Yeah, you can get out your little red pen, read the yes. first couple of pages, play <laughs> editor, and then see what the editors have done. And then it may help you as you're working on your own book. I hope this does not feel, uh, fuel your internal critic, but gives you an idea of what's possible and how your book can transform. And that you come up with the idea and you write it yourself, but there are people available to help you to get it into that form that you see on the bookshelf at the end. So I want to thank all of you so, so much for persevering through um, innovative technology, intercontinental discussion, and... Um, <laughs> making this episode happen. I know that the editorial process is one that people ask about often, have been really eager to learn more about, and I know everyone will be delighted to have learned so much from all three of you. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.